0: Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest shungite collections available. Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world with Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit one part rational mind add two drops of optimism give it all a good hard shake and pour dress it with the olives of grace and empathy sit back sip slowly and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation and a hearty hello to everyone out there hello 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 thanks for joining me for yet another round of yummy cocktails on this week's metaphysical martini the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's a woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, is the deep state truly scheduled for derailment? Giving your children puberty blockers is a despicable form of parental engagement. The WEF should be rounded up for impalement. Brainwashing is mankind's primary ailment. New World Order sponsors are actively creating robot monsters, sad, mad, and ever so bad, bonkers little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do all this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. And as always, we are rarely successful, I will admit to that. But we are honour-bound to give it our best shot, and on this show the metaphysical martini show we do love the odd shot now and then yes we do in fact let me sample my latest creation one in a long line of cosmic cocktails created for your listening pleasure and of course my personal enjoyment let's have a little sippy poo of this drinky poo Mm, mm. mm. i would say that has potential that's very good Well, if you're joining us for the first time, I hope you have a drink in your hand and a very warm welcome to you. Be advised, my darlings, we are not politically correct, as we do not wish to erode the intellect. We are not woke, we are not poked, and we will never wear a face cloak or subject ourselves to sham PCR tests. On this show, we do not bend the knee to anyone, not even God, and let me explain that. Instead, we raise our hearts, our minds, our arms up to the heavens to meet the divine, to align with its majesty. For heaven's sake, people, quite literally, you're not going to lose your awe of the divine. It's always going to be greater than the sum total of all of its parts. So just get up there and align. Metaphysical Martini, the show where the Holy Spirit meets top-quality distilled spirits, where the sacred and the silly blend together to create an exquisite blend of ideas and, of course, margaritas. Now, I should just mention, if you're easily offended, I'm sorry for you, I really am, what a waste of a life, but if you are easily offended, this show is not for you. This show is for people with the courage to explore both the dysfunction and the delight that is life on earth. So on today's show, we have questions, answers, and comments. Um, We have tarot-a-go-go, a little bit of crazy poetry, weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history, and of course, my favorite part of the show, always the cocktail du jour. But before we get on to the meat of the show... Please allow me to take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Dedicated to exploring both the known and the unknown, then helping provide the products and tools to expand your reach. Mystical Wares has a large and varied inventory and is the perfect spot for people who value illumination over indoctrination. And for people who know the difference between a propaganda and ashwagandha. If you are experiencing spiritual stasis, head on to Mystical Ware's Mount Vernon's Metaphysical Oasis. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. And jolly nice people they are too. Very pleasant to deal with. And I think they have more shungite than all of Russia put together. So if you're into Shungite, and why wouldn't you be, that's where you go. All right then, let's get on with the show and let's get stuck into quack, 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 questions, answers, and comments. This drink might be a little stronger than I thought. Mm. If you would like to share the details, the inner workings of your mad minds on this critically never acclaimed show, send your emails to me, Ani at AniAvidissian.com or snail mail them to Cosmic Ani, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon 97070, USA. And if your Madcap missive is picked for airing, please let us know if and how you wish to be identified, or we shall be forced to refer to you as omit personal details. All right, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shakey, shaky, shakey, shaky, shaky. All right, our first one is from Melinda in Oregon City, and that's just down the road from me. And Melinda says, "Annie, do you know about the Highland Stillhouse on South 2nd Street here in Oregon City? They have 700 bottles of whiskey behind the bar, (laughs) plus a section for rare whiskey and rotating whiskey. Wow, I've never seen whiskey rotate. That should be interesting. My family and I would love to treat you and your partner for a tasting at your convenience. The food's not bad either. Now, people, I hope you're paying attention because this is the type of letter I look forward to. This is the type of letter I want to see more of in my inbox inviting me, nay, treating me and my partner to an evening of fine whiskey and British Isles pub grub. Melinda, my darling, I'll be in touch soon, and thank you for thinking of me. So I think I have heard of it, the Highland Stillhouse, barely a 20-minute drive from my HQ, bursting with exotic whiskey, and I haven't been there. What's wrong with me? This must be remedied sooner than later in case my darling martini heads lose faith in me, and I can't have that. Cheers, Melinda. See you soon. I'll give you a call. What else is in the fishbowl today? This is from... Do I say your name? No. This is from Omit Personal Details, who asks, Annie, why do you have such an aversion to eating insects? <laughs> Didn't John the Baptist survive on locusts and honey? Oh, God, drink time. Drink time. Hang on. Mm. Mm. It's growing on me. How do I begin to answer this question? You're asking me why I have an aversion to eating insects. Because I'm a human, not a frog living in a bog. Our bodies are not designed to thrive on pestilence, which is what insects are. They are pestilence. And how do we know that John the Baptist ate bugs? How do we know for sure? And how and what, would it matter if he did? I mean, I've traveled through the Near East in my day and I have seen some large locusts and I suspect if there was nothing else to eat you could harvest a few of those big boys and roast their bodies over an open flame while basting them with John the Baptist honey. But it's hardly a long-term plan for survival, is it? I mean, it'll keep you alive for a while, but I doubt you would thrive. You'd just survive. Dear Omit, do you realize what the globalist controllers are up to? Do you have even a faint whiff of their agenda? Because if you did, you wouldn't be writing this letter. They think of us as cattle. They want to feed us processed scraps from their trough. To even contemplate agreeing to this dehumanizing, humiliating agenda is preposterous for soul sovereign thinkers. If they tell you to eat recycled food from trash heaps, would you do it? Would you do it if they lied to you, as they do all the time, and told you it would save the world? What would it take for you to be convinced to eat your own recycled faeces? Because I have news for you. If we don't turn this BS around soon, that is something the deep state are considering, making us eat our own poo, the ultimate humiliation, and that is what all of this is about. Extra taxes, austerity imposed upon the common people until it becomes impossible to afford anything except processed garbage, which will make us sicker than heck, and continue providing an income stream for big pharma. So wake up, all ye lazy addicts, to mainstream media. So, God dear, people, for heaven's sake, show some self-respect. We need hugs, not bugs. What else is in the fishbowl? Ah. Here's a lovely little postcard and this is from Madeira Beach in Florida and it's from Paco and I'm well aware of uh, Hurricane Ian and what he's up to today. So I'm not exactly sure where Madeira Beach in Florida is, but Paco, wherever you are, my darling, I hope you're safe. Um, And Paco says, I have recently been diagnosed with stage one pancreatic cancer. I take full responsibility for my condition. I have never been a victim. I did not get the COVID vax. Maybe it is a coincidence that I became sick within two months of my wife getting the vaccine. I don't know. But the diagnosis was a surprise as I am a runner and a swimmer and a pescatarian. Having spoken with two doctors and one oncologist, I believe the protocols they have in mind will kill me. I walked away from the hospital and made the decision to deal with this myself. And my wife supports me. I am not writing to you for advice, Arnie, although it would be welcome. I'm writing to give courage to those who feel bullied and intimidated by the medical community. I won't go into details, but it was their arrogance that lit the light bulb for me. They feel their way is the only way and that is not true. I have spoken with Hoxie Clinic in Mexico. My wife and I feel this is the best and most hopeful way forward. I wish to tell people they must find the courage to step outside the system. Fear truly is the mind killer. I pray and meditate daily, and because of this, I have peace within me, and I do not give in to the ego and to the fear that it creates. Each night, I fill my body with pure white light. I feel every cell restored to grace, to full health, as it was in the beginning of time, before the corruption of mankind and before the corruption of flesh. I know, Annie, you will pray for me as I make a stand for the light to flow through me and restore my vitality and spirit. My eyes have been opened to a new reality, one of a new world free from darkness, free from disease and free from the evil that passes for health care in America. Paco, darling, of course, I will pray for you, as will our listeners. And I'm just going to say I predict a very happy outcome for you. First off, you're at stage one. Pancreatic cancer is always challenging, but you're at stage one. That gives you a great advantage and you're in good health and hoxie does good work i know firsthand i've had many a client with cancer still alive because they went to hoxie um or some other alternative clinic please do something though right away if you haven't already done so remove all sugar from your diet keep your colon clear and keep well hydrated and let me know how it goes And I'm sure that all the martini heads will now take a moment to pray for you and say here and now, we affirm you are as perfect as the moment of your creation. Each divine breath you take overrides the error codes of disease and dysfunction. Your optimal health template is restored to you. There is no spot within you that God is not. You are, you always have been, you always will be as perfect as the moment the divine created you. Amen. Blessed be. It is done. We are one. God bless you, Paco. Keep in touch, okay? Who else wrote to us this week? It wasn't a very busy week as far as letters go, so uh, let's see. Um, Here's one from a chap named Dean who asks, What the heck are we, the common working people? supposed to do about this great reset are we supposed to take our money out of the bank and buy gold or maybe goldfish (laughs) what do we do with the gold or the goldfish when we get it it is frustrating not knowing what the heck is going on we are told it's all happening behind the scenes so honestly arnie what do we do with that Well, darling, you can't take it to the bank, can you? That's one thing you can't do with it. I hear you, Dean, and I'm no financial advisor, um, but I am one of the common working people, someone who makes enough to live a decent life and have a small savings account. So this late in the game, I would just leave things be. The establishment can always print more money. They don't have to steal ours. What they want is tangible assets, our land, our buildings. Remember a long time ago in Americans' history, um, they actually came and took all the gold away from us for some sort of a war effort? Mm. So I would just let it be. Um, This late in the game, unless you're wealthy, very wealthy, in which case you should have been seeing a reputable financial advisor, not some high street bucket shop. Um, This late in the game... You know, if currency is devalued, it will be the same for everyone. If the dark side wins, we're all left. If the light wins, which it will, we will regroup and we will get on with life. I actually can't see us losing this one. I can't see the deep state taking all the things in the world that we own. I mean, that's their plan, isn't it? To take everything from us, to wear us down so much that we don't even have the energy to say the world's sole sovereign and they want us to rent every last flipping thing from them, um, from toilet paper to to domiciles, to be entirely dependent on them, that isn't going to happen. As ridiculously naive, I'm being polite, as we have shown ourselves to be of late, that isn't going to happen. While I agree, Dean, that being out of the inner loop of knowing is frustrating, It should serve to teach us all a lesson about the level of engagement required by the citizenry to build a fair and equitable society. Now, Alex Jones, yes, that Alex Jones, has written a well-researched and well-presented book titled The Great Reset. Don't be put off by it because it's Alex Jones. I'm halfway through it, and I highly recommend you all read it if you want a jolly good overview of what the heck is happening in the corrupt world of finance. So, you know, if you've all left it till the last minute to decide what to do with your money, you can't really do anything. Just, you know, ride the storm, as it were. Okay, let's take another question from the fishbowl, and this one is from Jason in Bend, Oregon. Who asks everyone has that one crazy friend who just can't fit in and settle down mine keeps spending money on all types of new age shenanigans he studied how to be a druid he studied tarot card reading he became a solitary kitchen witch he got bored with that and learned how to read palms last month he went on some sort of color therapy retreat And this week, wait for it, Arnie, he says he wants to become a necromancer. (laughs) Now, uh, this is him uh, continuing with his letter. Now, I don't claim to know much about all things magical, but isn't a necromancer someone who raises the dead and uses them as mind-controlled zombies? Surely that is illegal, although I can see how in today's world it could be a useful skill. Well, Jason, um, the law, common law, is an arse. So who cares whether or not it's legal? But it is certainly immoral. I mean, the raising of the dead and putting them under your control, you know. um, But on the other hand, in a sense, it is what the establishment, through the bought and paid for media minions, does every day with mankind. So, All right, let's take a look at Necromancy 101, pros and cons. And, you know, as with all things, it depends on who you ask. In general, in my opinion, necromancers get a bad rap. They always seem to be associated with the darker side of occult practices, with communicating with non-physical beings, engaging in black magic and raising the dead. But is that all they do? if indeed that is what they do. If we dig a little deeper, the term necromancer covers a practitioner with a variety of skills, including mediumship. After all, the word the word rec- necromancer, what does it mean if we break it down? It means one who speaks with the dead, really, one who connects with the dead, someone who can communicate with beings from multiple realms of experience. Why do they have such a bad rap? Well, there's a couple of things. First off, I think they get the bad rap from video games. If any of you play video games out there, the necromancer type avatars, well, they generally have access to massive area of effect spells. And it is hinted that they draw this power from the dark side. They can also plant seeds of slow death on their enemies, such as entropy life drain, corruption, and, you know, when fully empowered, using their death magic, they can take over the will of enemy demons and command them to fight on the side of the necromancers team. But I honestly have to say this doesn't happen IRL in real life. It only happens in video games and movies. People are good at condemning that which is not understood. We're good at that, aren't we? So <clears throat> the necromancers of old, they were advisers, spiritual advisers, obtaining what was thought of as forbidden knowledge from the other side. And it wasn't really forbidden, not for the most part. Such practices were common you know, with the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Etruscans and all that lot um, <clears throat> in the ancient times. Right up until late medieval Europe, really, but then it became connected with um, <clears throat> with black magic. Black magic, being destructive or antisocial, is the best way to uh, to describe it. And it was denounced by the church. The church, an organisation responsible for so much evil in our world, they censored all of the old ways and imposed their corrupted version of the message of Emmanuel. Their goal being one world government, a diseased concept we are fighting against to this day. The word itself, I guess we could trace it back to Latin necromantia, which was probably taken from the Greek necromantia or necromatia, which meant divination by the means of a dead body. And this takes us to some of the earliest accounts of necromancy. Um, which took place in Greece and Rome, uh, along with Egypt and Babylonia. I'm pretty tired of uh, the bias of Greek and Roman history, um, really and truly. They, they were whole other cultures, people. Anyway, these practices, they, they were nothing more than shamanism, really. And there was no stigma or notion of wrongdoing when it came to necromancy. This is something that came much later. There was a practice in ancient Greece, though, called Nekia, which essentially was a ritual where the dead could be called upon, not summoned to appear, but called upon to answer questions about the future. It's like going to a medium now. You know, you go to a modern day medium, you pay them a crap load of money, and hopefully they connect you with the right people on the other side. Do we have any references of these that I can give? One of the earliest examples of this kind of just necromancy, shamanism, we could find it probably in Homer's Odyssey, where we see Circe, that very powerful sorceress, and she's capable of raising the dead and communing with the dead and all sorts of things. Um, So Circe, what does she do? She teaches many of these spells to Odysseus, Odysseus being, of course, the hero of the story. She then advises him to travel to the underworld and perform nechia um, however you pronounce it, and to gather the information needed for him to safely return home. Now, this wouldn't have been a physical journey, would it? This would have been one of those astral dream journeys that shamans do. So that's really, you know, it's no big thing. Um Odysseus was instructed to raise the spirit of the blind prophet Tiresias. Teresius, was that his name? Teresius? Yes, I think it was Teresius. And In the book, they describe this ritual in some detail. He has to light a fire in the dark of night and then sacrifice animals whose blood will be given to the shades or the spirits to drink. And whilst doing this, he would recite the incantations given to him by Circe, no doubt with one trouser leg rolled up with some sort of device put into his left ear. You know, Odysseus, so he does this and he encounters several spirits before he sees the prophet. Um, he sees his mother, of course, um, uh, which shocked him to see her on the other side because he thought she was alive. Anyway, so Tiresias finally appears. He drinks the blood and begins to give Odysseus info needed to make it home. But he first advises him not to eat the cattle of Apollo like he was going to go out and eat the cattle of Apollo. Um, so not to eat the cattle of Apollo, to avoid incurring his wrath. And he tells him he will return home alone and now the crew will make it. So, you know, I just quite quote that as an example because it just shows that necromancy wasn't seen as an evil form of magic. Most of the time it was quite the opposite. It was just rituals and stories. Um, why are rituals so important? Are they important? <clears throat> People associate black magic, white magic with all these rituals. Look, any spell, any spell or any intention, because that's what it is, can be cast with little or no ritual. Placement of intent and alignment with all that is are the only true requirements. But because we're in physical form, the ritual gives us confirmation that the deed has been done, that you do the thing, you say the incantation, you set the tone, and it's, you know, the incense, the rituals, it seals the heel, the smoke, the aromatic resins, they act as a spiritual fumigant, and they also take our prayers to the other side. So it sort of seals the deal. Mm. And this sort of um, astral travel into other realms to get the answer to a question um um you know catabasis it's uh, this physical journey to the underworld uh, to to do a quest or something you know um these were all quite normal shaman dream work protocols back in the day so some of the rituals noted with ancient recromancers um can be rather grotesque um Perhaps, you know, animals were sacrificed. Animal sacrifice still takes place in Christian churches in the Near East, by the way. There is something quite powerful about blood magic. I personally won't practice it. Um, but it's fairly common. So when did the necromancy then become this dark art, this, this school of magic that was suddenly unacceptable and taboo after having helped so many people? Uh, you know, sort out their lives. Well, you know, I guess we go to medieval Europe, don't we? And we go to the church. We began to crack down on magic and witchcraft um, and necromancy, anything witchery, really, anything to do with wisdom, anything that kept the wisdom local and empowered the people was squashed in favor of uh, one world government (laughs) is really what they were after. So, the church labeled the act of of necromancy as um, maleficium, an act of witchcraft, something with the intention of doing harm. And from that moment on, necromancy would always be equated to raising demons who hid under the guise of spirits. So, there we go. Practitioners of necromancy. They believed that their knowledge would be useful to the people. And they wanted always to be seen in a positive light. But, you know, magic is neutral, isn't it? It's the placement of intent. You can use it for light or for dark. So that's why necromancy is seen as a service to the dark side side today. Um, You know, let's take a look at some popular presentations of it let's go to the lord of the rings tolkien's character sauron the dark lord he went by many titles but one of them of course was a necromancer when you see the movies um you know you don't actually see him raising the dead but in the history of middle earth which is a series of volumes collected by tolkien's son from all of his father's manuscripts There's something in volume 10 called Morgoth's Ring. We see a quote that tells us he is indeed capable of communion with the dead, enslaving them and harnessing their knowledge. I'll I'll read it to you because it's very short. It is therefore a foolish and perilous thing besides being a wrong deed forbidden justly by the appointed rulers of Arda. If the living seeks to commune with the unbodied, though the houseless may desire it, especially the most unworthy among them for the unbodied wandering in the world are those who at the least have refused the door of life and remain in regret and self-pity. Some are filled with bitterness, grievance, and envy. Some were enslaved by the Dark Lord and do his work still, though he himself is gone. They will not speak truth or wisdom. To call on them is folly. To attempt to master them and to make them servants of one's own will is wickedness. Such practices are of Morgoth, and the necromancers are of the host of Sauron, his servant. Well, you know, I'm sorry, Tolkien, I do love you, but, you know, come on, back in that day. All right, if we look at uh, other things like Mortal Kombat franchise, someone pointed this out to me the other day. Um, we have Shang Tsung and Kon Chi. And both of them assume the roles of warlocks and sorcerers who dabbled in the art of necromancy. Um, And they do, in fact, focus on raising the dead to form armies for their masters and ultimately do their bidding. So, again, misrepresentation there by the Mortal Kombat franchise. Game of Thrones. We see what the the King of the White Walkers, he just raises up the dead by lifting his arms, Um, raising an army of the undead is something that we see from most necromancers in Hollywood. And in Harry Potter, we of course have Lord Voldemort, a wizard who practiced necromancy, raising an entire army of skeletons and zombies during the first wizarding war. Um, The people he raised were mainly those he'd murdered too. And what about Frankenstein? Is he any less a necromancer because he's a scientist? A mad scientist for sure, but did he actually raise the dead? Yes, he did, he made Frankenstein. (laughs) All right. um, I'm going to say that raising the dead can't be done. But I'm going to also take that back because anything is possible. But we would have to ask ourselves this one simple question. Why would anyone put all that effort into resurrecting a dead body, a somewhat decomposed and pretty stinky body, to program it to do its bidding? Can you even imagine the skill required to raise up a body? that's dead and festering? It would be easier to take over the mind of a living being and bend that to your will. And living beings would stand out less, by the way. Zombies created from dead flesh rarely make it under the radar. Well, I've gone on a lot about this and I really didn't mean to, but in conclusion, my brethren, let's just say that necromancers were practitioners with a full intuitive skill set who got a bad rap. They communed with the spirits of the dead, But any practitioner of the arts knows there is no value in raising dead bodies. So, Jason, fear not. But that said, if you visit your friend after he does his necromancy class and if the lamb chops in his refrigerator seem to come to life and start dancing, give me a call right away, would you? So to all the necromancers out there, um, I do hope that your image will be cleaned up. Um, I'm going to make up a little song for you, a little impromptu ditty on behalf of all misunderstood, sad and lonely necromancers. One, two, three. I'm a necromancer and I'm pretty cool to play with corpses. One would have to be a fool. Magic is neutral. It's all about intent. I serve the light 100%. Don't make up stories that make me sound gory. Don't put me in the wrong category. I'm just a simple medium with fancy robes and incantations. Before the church banned us, we were revered by all nations. Well, there we are, darlings. Necromancy 101. I think after that dreadful little song, we should leave it there for quack for this week. And let me take the opportunity to remind you to visit my website, arnieavadisian.com and to check out my services and my classes on offer. In particular, you may want to check out my Cosmic Conversations, a series of short entry-level presentations on popular new age subjects designed to stimulate interest and promote awareness. They are informal, they are fun, and occasionally fascinating usually held on the last Saturday of each month via Zoom. Fifteen bucks a pop and you get the audio recording sent to you in case you missed any pertinent points. So in October, we're going to cover spellcraft and sorcery from across the globe. November, we will discuss. We will discuss. Yes, we will. We shall also discuss the quatrains of Nostradamus. December, we have our grand Yuletide Zoom Fest. And there's no charge for December because it's a party, not really a class. And January, we will discuss Edgar Cayce, the sleeping psychic. There'll be no Cosmic Conversations in February and March as we will review content and up our game and make a glorious comeback in March. And while you're at it, check out my Telegram page, Ani Mad Sharman Avidician Chat. It is for awakened freethinkers, sole sovereign beings who know how the world works and who are committed to preparing the way for a new golden age, one without the machinery of deep state. If you are a troll, you will be deleted, you will be blocked, and we will probably put a curse of eternal diarrhea on you. So step very carefully on my Telegram page. And now, my darlings, (laughs) it's time for tarot a go go a little what the heck with your favorite tarot deck and we're still on the robin wood deck because it's pretty and we like all things pretty and today's card is oh my god we have covered everything now except the court cards we've done the major arcana we've done all the suits so let's talk about the court cards now the court cards tend to confuse people anything seems to confuse people these days though So the court cards are the cards with the people on them: the page, the knight, the queen, and the king. And these represent the people in your life, your sense of identity, aspects of your personality, the roles you play in life. Um, They can also be used to uh, for for seasons of the year, times of the year, Uh, and when they're reversed. I would say that they represent the shadow aspects of the person, of the personalities, either yours or somebody else's. So they have two fundamental interpretations. So on one hand, various aspects of yourself that are important with the current question that you are asking. And on the other hand, they represent other People And that's why people get so confused. Is it about me? Does this represent somebody else? What does this mean? Why is this person here? I don't know. I don't know the sad sorry details of all of your individual lives. But I do know that with a little patience and perseverance, all shall be revealed to you. After all, tarot is not about predicting the future. No one can predict the future because it hasn't happened yet. Tarot gives you a snapshot of potential and helps you to create a better future. So let's start with pages. Pages and pages can be boys or girls. They're not gender confused, but they just, you know, they represent both genders. Um, And what do pages do? Well, they open doors, don't they? And they deliver messengers. So it's about communications when you have a page you're going to get phone calls some sort of important news it's information Um, if it represents the actual person we would say that pages uh, they're young men or women up to their very early 20s or perhaps somebody who's a little older but lives in let's call it naivety and youthful innocence but it's the beginning of something. Something is in process. It's the formation part of it. So there's definitely communication. You're going to need more information. Um, and it does represent younger people. So let's pick up the very first of those, which will be the page of wands. And there's a bright little boy or girl, really. Mine looks a bit like a girl, but it could be a boy who knows um holding the big staff the wand with a beautiful crystal on the top and rays emanating all over it and this uh this child of unknown gender is looking very happy and very pleased with itself it's sort of saying oh look my lord look my lord i've got great news for you something exciting uh, i have an exciting message for you my lord yes so because it's a wand, I get the whole fiery inspiration, initiative, marginally extrovert, uh, full steam ahead, energy, um, vigor, that word vigor, resourcefulness, um, excitement. Uh, quite often with this one, you're going to want to, to give a quick response. This page of wands is going to be there. I've got to take the message back, my lord. Come on, very quick. Get on with it. Yes or no? What are you going to say? you're going to get some sort of important communication with this page. Um, It could be very good news in the upright position. In fact, it will be Um, invigorating news, in fact. You've done something right. Uh, You went ahead, you got ahead of your competition. But energy, optimism, excitement, um, the bearer of good news, encouraging news. Let's turn it upside down into the challenged or reverse position and let's see what we get. Well, it's not so good, is it? We get bad news. (laughs) And there are different levels of bad. It could just be upsetting news. It could be something that just makes you a little frazzled out. But um, it's more along the lines of a letter of rejection. Um, A Dear dear John letter, perhaps. Uh, Anyway, it's unwelcome in information. Someone didn't treat you very well. Uh, mm. So I think that's about as far as I'm going to go with that. Um, let's turn it back up on the other side. No, what, hang on. Let's t- I j- I've just been told by my inner voice to turn it back into the reverse position. Um, if it's going to represent a person and not just the news, this person in the reverse position is more like a prima donna. Someone who's very ego driven, craves attention, doesn't think about anything except themselves. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad I added that in. Let's turn it upside down, uh, back up into the correct position. Much better. Now I can see that that wand is going to light the way, and it's all good news. So there we are the Page of Wands. That was our Tarot A Go Go for today. <laughs> that what shall we do now sweethearts i know what we haven't done this for a while i don't think i don't remember but it's time for a little pat of poetry (laughs) and also a little drinky poo because i'm getting very dry here hold on Mm. Mm. definitely growing on me Yes, folks, after a hard day's shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home, putting my feet up, having a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo, and writing really bad but occasionally brilliant non-peer-reviewed poetry. In honour of the misrepresented holiday, commonly known as Halloween, I offer the following little ditty titled, Why All the Fuss About Pumpkins? Thank you very much. Here we go fall is on the way the pumpkins are getting fatter don't throw them at your grandma or else her head will surely splatter they're great for target practice or mixed up in a pie but served up as a side dish the blandness will make you sigh yes fall is on the way the orange hues are glaring People rejoice in pumpkin spice, but I would rather eat ball bearings. (laughs) Well, not bad. You know, I didn't really have a lot of time to finish that. So there we are. There may be some more verses to that later on in my future if I have enough cocktails. So I was going to do some philosophy for you today, but I don't think we have enough time. So instead... I'm going to bring forward weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And that definitely deserves a toot. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to thank um, Angela, who's a regular martini head, a regular listener to the show, for sending me these strange tidbits, which she says she forwarded from a site called Scary Mummy. Uh, Or in America, that would be Scary Mummy (laughs) with an O. All right, so here we are. Snails, this one's about snails. Snails have been known to sleep up to three years if the weather isn't moist enough to meet their needs. You know, I actually happen to know that's true. (laughs) I, I seem to have a vague recollection from some sort of biology class years ago, decades ago, back in boarding school, that snails can sleep for up to three years if it's too dry outside. And, you know, why not? Um, I've been known to sleep for up to three years just because Oregon is too wet. So, you know, there we are. Honeybees. Honeybees flap their wings 230 times every second. I can't even imagine that. I'm quite exhausted just thinking about that. What else has she sent us? She says, there's a species of jellyfish called the immortal. And in response to physical damage or any other trauma, they can revert back in their development process to a polyp. I've known humans do that, too, so I totally believe that. I also know that jellyfish don't really have brains, per se, but yet they can live for a very long time, which gives a great deal of the population hope in this day and age, I think. Moving on, at birth... A panda cub is smaller than a mouse and weighs only four ounces. And this, again, I know to be true because I've seen the videos. They're tiny, but they make one heck of a racket. And I suspect that's because their mummies are so huge. Pandas are very big. So if you're this big panda and you have this little tiny baby that's about the size of a mouse, you could probably just sit on it and kill it if it didn't scream, right? So there we go. Um, oh, this one's about koala bears. They're so cute koala bears, aren't they? Um apparently koala bears' fingerprints are the most are almost indistinguishable from humans. So much so they can taint crime scenes. Now, this has given me some ideas, people. If you're going to go out and say steal something a relic of great importance, perhaps. Even if you wear gloves, I don't know, perhaps there's DNA on your gloves, whatever. I would take along a specially trained koala bear and train them to grab the objects you're trying to steal. That way, they're going to look for the koala bear's fingerprints. And as far as I know, there isn't a database for koala bear's fingerprints. So this is, this is one of the best tidbits. Uh, I'm going to do something with this. Somewhere down the line, when there's something really important to steal, I'm going to start training a koala right now, actually. All right, let's see. There is such a thing as a glow-in-the-dark shark. It's called a swell shark. Well, I suppose if it glows in the dark, it is pretty swell, isn't it? Um, and it lives 1,700 feet beneath the ocean surface, and it emits a fluorescent glow. Now, it's visible only to other swell sharks, but that's still pretty cool. And I am told here that scientists have figured out a way to detect the glow using filters. People, no knowledge is ever wasted. You never know if you're going to be trapped in a dark room somewhere by some sort of psychopath weirdo who's going to say to you, I'm going to kill you unless you can answer all of these trivia questions. And I think that what I'm doing with you here today is going to help save your life somewhere down the line. All right, moving on with some weird but true facts. There's a stage before frostbite, and that is known as frostnip. So if you get nip, bundle up, because frostbite's not fun. Now, here's one... Um, That again doesn't sound real, but I know again to be true. People who suffer from boanthropy believe they are a cow and they will try to live their life as a cow. Now, you may say that's just completely stupid, but I think that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He, you know, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon died. And he was so thrilled with what he had created that uh, apparently he got really arrogant about it. And God, not our God, because, you know, God wouldn't do stuff like this, but apparently God um, smote him with some sort of disease where he went into the fields and chewed cud and lived as an animal. Um, I have a better, better explanation for why that would happen. It's called mental illness, It has to be something to do with schizophrenia or some type of mental illness where you actually shatter and break. Um, And the choice of cow, it might be arbitrary. I don't know. But uh, this is definitely a mental illness. And it's a thing. It's a real thing. And I'm really glad I don't suffer from it. Every continent except Antarctica has at least one McDonald's. That is very sad. Maybe in the new golden age, they will all go away as well. Did you know that three people can have a duel, But then it's not a jewel. It's a truel. T-R-U-E-L. So when three people have a duel, it's called a truel. Well, you know, why not? After all, there are throuples around now, aren't they? I mean, as if having a relationship wasn't difficult enough with one other person. There are people who live together in threes. I, 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 each to their own, it, uh, it wouldn't work for me. Baked beans, uh, nothing to do with truffles, but moving on to baked beans aren't really baked, they are stewed. Well that was interesting. What else have I got that's, that's really interesting here? Oh this will be fun. Um, now obsolete as a practice, as far as we know, Tyromancy was a form of divination that involved observing cheese to predict the future. And you may say to yourself, cheese doesn't really do much. So how do you predict the future or you know, make a decision based on the cheese? I mean, it's a lump. It just sits there. I think what they did, if I remember rightly, from Baby Shaman School years and years ago, they would cut the cheese in two or three or whatever and uh, get a mouse or an insect, um, get it handy. And then each section of the cheese would represent uh, a person, whether they were guilty or not, or in a, a situation, whether it was favorable or not. And whichever one the mouse or insect went to first... That was how they were judged. Um, I'm really glad we don't do this anymore, because that is just so entirely stupid. Um, but fun, a fun little fact. Moving on, there are more Lego mini figures in existence than actual people on Earth. Wow, that is something. Um, one quarter of all the bones in the human body are located in the feet. That I can believe. That's why our feet hurt so much. The average person who drives a car will spend six months of their life waiting for red lights to turn green. Yeah, I can attest to that. Um, what else have we got that's really interesting? Oh, this would be fun. Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, wasn't he the master of suspense? Is that what he called himself or what he was dubbed? He was an overphobe, meaning he had a fear of eggs. <laughs> um, and here's what the, the godfather of horror. Yes, this is what he said about them in a 1963 interview. I'm frightened of eggs, worse than frightened. They revolt me. That white round thing without any holes. When you break it inside, there's that yellow thing round without any hole. Blood is jolly red, but egg yolk is yellow and revolting. I've never tasted it. Interesting thing to have a phobia about, but, you know, why not? Oh, and this, I do know to be true, this next uh, little weird tidbit. There's a company that turns dead bodies into ocean reefs, and the company is called Eternal Reefs why do i know about this um one of my clients was telling me that's how they wanted to be buried now in case you got the idea that they just take the whole body down there and somehow nail it to the ocean floor to create a wreath that's not what happens because that body would be fed on wouldn't it by millions of little fishy things what they do is they cremate the body anyway And then somehow they mix all of the ashes from the urn into some sort of structure that they place at the bottom of the ocean and the reef grows around that. So anyway, I suppose if you're a fish lover or a marine biologist, uh, that would be the way to go. Um, One other little tidbit. The The world's largest padlock weighs 916 pounds. I have not fact checked this. I want to fact check that uh, to see what the heck would need a nine hundred and sixteen pound padlock. Uh, a few little um, tidbits here about the human body. Oh, but before that, this was interesting. In three hundred BC, Mayans worshipped turkeys as vessels of the god. Vessels of the gods. This is true. I remember this from history class. Uh, they imported their uh, their turkeys from some part of Mexico or whatever. Um, and they, they revered them. And then they domesticated them. And it was quite common to have wild turkeys roaming all over the place. Turkeys are actually quite attractive when you take a, a close-up look at them. Mm. Okay. What else have I got that's sort of interesting? Um, Pope Gregory IV in the 13th century declared war on cats because he believed they were instruments of Satan. Wasn't that during a plague era and then all the rats came off the ships and then there weren't enough cats to kill the rats and everyone got sick? Um, Give me one more excuse. One more excuse to say something about the Catholic Church. (laughs) Give me an inch. I'll take a mile. And uh, let's do just one more. Um, Let's see. Uh, oh, your nose can remember 50,000 different scents. Now, that is quite amazing. But then again, those people that are called the nose, <clears throat> excuse me, they work in the perfumery. Uh, they are very special people and highly prized. And they get paid a lot of money to remember and uh, distinguish between those 50,000 cents. And that, I think, other than saying that um, our eyes move about 80 times per second, uh, that is the end of weird and wacky tidbits for today. And you know what? I cannot believe it, but we're almost at the end of the show. So I'm just going to have to say, darlings, I think we're going to have to wrap it up for today. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording, because I always have a blast. Why would I not hanging out with all you lovely martini heads? And today's real-life cocktail is a classic concoction from Old Mr. Boston Deluxe Official Bartender's Guide, which belonged to my father-in-law, God rest his soul. And this cocktail is called Whispers of the Frost cocktail. And I chose this because this morning we felt the first chill of fall here in Oregon. And here's how you make it. Three quarters of an ounce of your preferred whiskey. I'm using Basil Hayden Rye because I feel quite posh today. Three quarters of an ounce of sherry wine. I'm using Christian Brothers Golden Sherry Wine. And three quarters of an ounce of port wine. I'm using Dow's Fine Tawny. I like my port a little dry. You also need one teaspoon of powdered sugar. Mix it up. Hard shake in a shaker with cracked ice. Strain into a three ounce cocktail, three ounce cocktail glass. Garnish with slices of lemon and orange. And here's a little tip. My partner makes her own crystallized fruit slices and it's a lovely touch to a cocktail if you don't want the dressing to be too tart or too acidic. It's basically the rind of the lemon and the orange but sugared and dried and it's quite delicious and this whole drink you know I've been drinking it for the last hour it's quite lovely. I think we should all take a look at these classic recipes of old and revive them now remember folks cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat if you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously one big drink is all you need i'm arnie mad very mad shaman avidistian this was metaphysical martini a production of cosmic reality radio to whom we are most grateful until we meet again to thine own selves be true Walk away from anyone selling you poo. And above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Apodesian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available.